Blog Talk Radio. This is all about wine, a talk show dedicated to the wine industry since 2009. Featuring winemaker, cellar master, vineyardist, and tasting expert, Ron. Ron. Basically, what we're trying to do in this program is just trying to educate people and trying to make wine less confusing and more friendly. From coast to coast, around the world. world. You know, we really have had some some neat people on the program. I, I just, I love that. Post your questions and comments during the live show on our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash all about wine BTR. Again, that's www.facebook.com forward slash all about wine BTR. And now, all about wine is on. Here's Ron. There he is. They're, they're, they're all mm-hmm. sitting in the bus tonight with the AC on. Mm-hmm. They're, they're not outside the mm-hmm. bus. It's just too bloody hot to be outside the bus. So. Yeah. Not, um, not playing in that heat. No. no. So, and it's not good for the wine to in the heat. So, so they're yeah. all sitting in the bus and enjoying the AC yeah. and listening. Yeah. yeah. So. That's all right. It's uh, I don't know. I did not even look at the uh, the heat index. I think yesterday was like 120. Uh, yeah, I know. It's, it really is. <laughs> and we we have a model compared to some places like a, down in Texas yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. Wow. Um, well, oh, we have a little rain shower brewing to the south. Isn't that funny? It really? I must have heard. Must have yeah. was talking that we're not getting any rain. They'll probably cut you off. And yes. That's going to blow into some giant storm cell. <laughs> yeah. And they do that, too. And this is poof. And all of a sudden, yep. lightning and thunder what and wind. Yeah. Thursday, 7 o'clock? <laughs> oh, gosh. We need to, we need to uh, do we some need storm. To get a storm. <laughs> yeah. Oh. yeah. That's, That's about how it works. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've had those go through here right at seven too. You know, on Thursdays. Yeah. 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 yeah well. Gosh, catch it all the time. But we were talking before we got on the air. Hawaii, all the fires over yeah. there in Hawaii. That's that's a tough situation. You can there's a uh, you can go online and just punch in Hawaiian wildfire donation, and the Red Cross is taking donations. Um, to help, and so that's a good way to do it if you want to do it. And the Red Cross is reputable, and they're not going to be taking your money and skedaddling out of town or something. So, but just go to you know, punch in the search engine Hawaiian wildfire donations, and it'll bring up different ones. And I'm sure Red Cross is probably at the top of the list. I haven't done that. I, I there was a San Francisco Chronicle, which I subscribed to, had links and all sorts of stuff there. So I went to that. But if you are so inclined to donate to natural disasters, there's there's like close to 3,000, 2,800 some odd homes and businesses destroyed with the fire. There's been 36 people that have died in the fire so far with countless others that have smoke inhalation and uh, burns and stuff like that. The embers uh, burned them. It's really a pretty nasty thing there. It's in the uh, island of Maui. Although there are fires in uh, the big island and there is also some in the the smaller one. They're right in a row. But Honolulu, the island that Honolulu is in, I don't know the names of all the islands. Is that Honolulu Island? I don't know. But uh, there's fires there. Maui is in the middle of the, most of the fires there. And then the Big Island uh, is next in line. And there's fires there. And these fires are being fanned on by Hurricane, I think, Dora. Or it's not a, tro- it's a tropical storm or a cyclone or whatever they call them over there. Uh, 
Dora, which is southwest of the island now, but the winds are blowing around and fanning these fires and cause them to just uh, to gallop across the landscape. So it's uh, some some nasty stuff over there. So if you are inclined to donate, like I say, Red Cross is always a good one. Uh, they'll get the money spread to the right places and for the right reasons. Um, yeah. If uh, memory serves me correctly, Honolulu is on Oahu, the island of Oahu, which is uh, oh, okay. about a few islands northeast of the big the the big island uh, Hawaii. Um, yeah. So the big island is Hawaii. Okay, Hawaii, and then Maui, and then yep, uh, Molokai, okay. Oahu, and Kauai with a K. Okay. K- yeah. I had to I had to learn these when I was doing airline reservations because people oh. were calling from, you know, I'm on Kona and I'm trying to get out or Hilo and they mentioned some names. I'm like, I have no idea where you're at. You might as well be <laughs> okay. some crater on the moon. I have no clue where you're at. And, uh, well, you go into you fly into Honolulu. I was like, oh, you're part of those islands. Okay, why did you just say so? Um, yeah, but, yeah. Pronunciations. I'm sitting there trying to look it up because you have to know how to spell everything, apparently. And uh, man, what a tough time trying to get those. Um, and then, yeah, it's a. It was it was good to learn all the different uh, places like that. <laughs> yeah, I, but most of flights from the states go to Honolulu, don't they? I mean, yeah, there's. I think I think uh, Honolulu is the the big. You know, they're they're major airport but there's other there's others i think that uh like when southwest started flying out there i think they flew directly to different airports there i'm, I'm not oh, really? i haven't oh. uh, checked yeah they start doing non-stops to uh oh, i forgot but i know i thought honolulu was one but they did some some different ones that i, I wasn't wasn't really aware of or familiar with but uh yeah it's kind of uh quite a bit going on oh there's a good map i'm trying to look at the maps here and see what's what they're where they fly into. But anyway, uh, back to the show. <laughs> oh, yeah, uh, a couple yeah, of weeks ago, uh, or maybe it was last week, you talked about the tasting fees or what were the tasting fees in Napa Valley. And I don't remember right. if I if I got through or not, but I, I have I have been sitting on this site. It's visitnapavalley.com with the tasting fees on this page for however long it's been. And I've got it weeks, pulled yeah. up here. And I'm, I'm, yeah, I wasn't, and I've been. I was like, "Am I ever going to take this off my my browser window?" Because uh, it's just sitting there. But um, tell us about it. Fees, you can. Okay, uh, the average cost of a basic wine tasting in Napa Valley is about forty dollars. Uh, they can go as low as twenty dollars and go as high as two hundred dollars or more for an elevated experience that might include a tour, lunch, glass, uh, class, or seminar depending on the winery and activity and all that kind of stuff. But uh, there's a flat fee. Uh, there was also a thing that uh, they mentioned, should you tip or how much do you tip at wineries? Oh. And they list, uh, yeah, they list that as a little sidebar thing. And it says uh, stand-up bar tasting, uh, recommended 10 to $15 per couple. This is tipping. Oh, really? Yes. Uh, if you do a seated tip uh, tasting, they recommend 15 to $20 per couple. Uh, at boutique wineries, uh, that kind of tasting, they recommend $20 or more per wow. cup for um, private tours and VIP experiences. It's another you know, $20 or more per couple. And uh, for large groups and bachelorette parties, they recommend 20% of the total winery cost. Uh, which I wow. imagine would go up quite a bit. But uh, so yeah. there you go. Uh, yeah, should you tip? I never. I don't know. Maybe I've never thought about that, but they say, yeah, you know, I, it's a, I haven't either, uh, I, especially that amount. Yeah. I mean, I might, yeah. you know, consider throwing a couple three dollars on the bar, but geez, you know, they're talking yeah. 10, 15, yeah. $20. There. Wow. Almost a, a, almost a price of a, a bottle, maybe not in Napa, but any place else, yeah. it's almost the price of an actual so kind of paying for it. But you know, it's, it's an experience. I mean, you know, yeah. they're good. Yeah, definitely. Um, you learn well, something if, you're, and, if you're spending forty, fifty dollars for a tasting, and I wonder what yeah. that covers too. I mean, that that's a, a lot of those places have flights where you can do mm-hmm. a, 
$40 tasting, but that's a flight of their red wines. And then another 40 is a flight of their whites. And I guess that's a good way to keep people from over drinking. But, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and then you, um, you know, add a tip on top of that, you're, you're looking at, you know, dropping $100. And I wonder, too, a lot of wineries apply some of the tasting costs to the purchase. And oh, yeah. if that applies to some of those expensive ones. And so, oh, some wineries, there it is, some wineries will even waive tasting fees when you purchase bottles of wine. So for, feel free to ask the winery or tasting room when you visit what their policy is around tastings and bottle purchases. So, oh, okay. You know, uh, it could be applied to it. You never know. It doesn't hurt to ask. What are they going to say? You know, no, I get out of here or something. <laughs> I won't do that. Really? Oh, I uh, say no. Yeah, you go, there goes your tip. <laughs> you know where you are? You're in Napa. No. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Geographically, is not that. But, uh, yeah, try it. I mean, it ain't going to hurt anything. Um, but they, there's some interesting uh, – if you go to uh, visitnapavalley.com, look for the page that has uh, – and I don't know how to find it from their main page, but uh, Napa Valley Wine Tasting Tips. And they also go through uh, uh, Know How to Taste Wine. Uh, there's five different things – well, actually four. But uh, four different things to, you know, see, swirl, sniff. Uh, sip that kind of thing, and then tell you you know what to look for. There's tasting terminology, viticulture terminology. Uh, it's a it's a pretty good little you know educational thing. And then uh, of course you can book a hotel from here, and there's all kinds oh, of stuff. Really? Wow. Yeah. I, just, I guess it's for uh, let's see. Yeah, there's American Canyon, Calistoga, Napa, Saint Helena, and Yountville. 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 Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yountville okay. right close to uh, there too. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, so there, there's a lot of lot of different things on this on this site. So check it out. It's good. Cool. It's got a lot of good information to it. Yeah. Is that NapaValley.com? Uh, visit visitnapavalley.com. Visitnapavalley.com. So there you go. You had to get to this wine tasting tip because I, I don't know how I got it, but it's oh well, it's up there. Um, yeah, there's all kinds of has the tasting fees and all kinds of stuff. Uh, and there's cool. other tips. Should you should you wear perfume or can you wear perfume? Um, Shouldn't. How many wine tastings? Yes. Yeah. It's best to avoid. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Avoid uh, any body yeah. odors, be it perfumes or yeah. body odors. Avoid everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let the wine be what what you you know scent uh, uh, the only scent that you uh, inhale I guess whatever you want to call it sniff or, right. or whatever just at any wine you know? yeah yeah, yeah. Um, but there's uh, different different things in there visit the site and you'll you'll check it out and apparently it's uh, did I refresh this because it says it's 82 degrees there let me refresh oh it's 75 wow yeah. is that nice. Wow. Yeah, that's it. Is this, is it? And it's what it's, it's seven here. It's only four o'clock, four fifteen in the afternoon there. So yeah. that's a nice temperature. Yeah, that is. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, maybe by so, January we'll see that. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Uh, so, oh, Gary, good. Thank you. I'm. You know, I, I remember I did mention what the cost, and I didn't know what they were. So thanks for finding that out. And you can close that tab now. You don't have to keep it open for another week. <laughs> That's what I do. I have tabs open here, and they're all stacked up at the top. And you know, yeah. Going, oh man, I didn't talk about that. I wanted to, and you know, things like that. So yeah. yeah. Well, that's good. Good stuff. Thank you. So, yeah. All right. Thank you. Uh, we got some things to talk about in the wine industry. Oh, we do. I'm getting response from, I talked to you, I told you about that podcast or that blog cast or whatever you want to call it about American grapes, Native American grapes and how interesting it was. And I told you I was going to put it up on the uh, website. 
but I said I wanted to talk to the people first who put it on. I finally got a hold of them. Looks like over the next two or three weeks, we're going to be talking to those people. I've got some response, plus another one that uh, did a movie, uh, completely different from those, but another one did a movie. So it looks like we've got some guests coming up. Also, uh, Cigar Guys, uh, we'll be getting them on again, uh, probably September, middle of September or something like that. Depends on how the scheduling comes up here with all these other people and all that. So we have guests coming up. So stay tuned for future podcasts on All About Wine because we've got some good guests coming scheduled. And we're going to uh, talk to a lot of different people there. But today we don't. Today we're going to just give you some stuff, interesting news and things. And the first one is one I had a tab open. This is out of the Wall Street Journal. It says, enjoy alcohol without the hangover. Scientists, oh, don't do this. Scientists are finding ways to help people sober up faster and feel fewer bad effects. Now, I'm not going to go through this whole article here. It's, it's, it's not real long, though, but so I'll tell you the highlights. Uh, researchers are working to make uh, the hangover disappear, and they're developing hormone shots to help sober up people quickly. Well, I can tell you a story about that. And others are working on alcohol substitutes that target the receptors in the brain that affect happiness while dodging those that make you slur and weave. <laughs> uh, I don't know. It seems to me like there'd be better things for scientists to be working on, you know, cancer cures and stuff like that. But I suppose this is important. They say alcohol is like playing the piano with boxing gloves on. You hit too many keys. Uh, this London-based company is called GABA Labs, G-A-B-A, -A, GABA Labs. And they're developing a synthetic alcohol that will give you the same pleasurable effects without hangovers, health problems, or slurred speech. Hmm. You know, I suppose they can make plant-based steaks. I can make, you know, synthetic alcohol that does all this. There you go. It has the uh, acids in it that target the receptors in the front of the brain that trigger the same things that alcohol does is really what it does without destroying your body. They uh, have, let's see, two people have been working on it. Uh, Dr. David Nutt is the chief scientist uh, at uh, GABA Labs. And he's been working, uh, first began this nearly 40 years ago. Wow. Um, he is a psychiatrist and a neuropsychopharmacologist. Pharmacologist. Okay. Uh, and he is trying to find the cause and effects of all this. GABA receptors are the first contact for alcohol in the brain, opening up and relaxing people. But then alcohol floods into the brain with other neurotransmitters that cause all these other nasty side effects, like the slurred speech and the weaving and everything else. Uh, it uh, says a glass of wine makes you more chatty, which you get more socially engaged with people. He's trying to keep that in it without causing the other stuff. Uh, the company has raised about $10.3 million American money, uh, or 8 million pounds, tried to get this tested and launched. Uh, they say only the inventors have been allowed to use it at this stage. It feels like a warm glow, uh, says Oren. Uh, you're being you, and you're being with somebody that's being them. You're being real, he says. Okay. The company says that its U.S. partner 
in place to help find volunteers to test the product. So, I don't know. Uh, they said the number of laboratories are going to help do it once the funding is in place. Part of the testing, the company will weigh the effects of missing alcohol with real alcohol or using it at excessive amounts. Alcreol is what they're calling it, A-L-C-A-R-E-L-L-E. -L -L -E. It's a synthetic alcohol, it's tasteless, and it's formulated to be added to versions of non-alcoholic drinks, from beer to wine to spirits. It could be added to drinks purchased, produced without alcohol and those were, where alcohol has been removed. So then no low wine thing that they have out now. You can add it to those. You can add it to anything. I, you know, this is what it is. I wonder how this is a little vile that you, I don't know. This is strange. Some consumers concerned about health effects have moved to consume less alcohol in recent years. And the pandemic has contributed to the spike in drinking. But alcohol consumption has since retreated after the pandemic. Sales of known low alcohol beverages rose in 2022. So alcohol can contribute to health problems for anyone, not just people with alcohol use disorder. Alcohol use is on a spectrum. Uh, it's not a dictomoious condition. I pronounced that wrong. Uh, Amygdala Neurosciences in San Francisco is developing an oral drug that aims to inhibit alcohol cravings by targeting dopamine pathways that are triggered when people encounter places and people they associate with drinking. <laughs> Their drug, a small organic molecule, blocks an enzyme that is critical in dopamine pathways. That results in a dopamine becoming a completely different molecule that reduces the production of dopamine with its special effects during a craving. Fewer cravings can help lower drinking to healthier levels, the company says. So there's something else. It says people just want to drink normally. Uh, pharmaceutical company Endivior has completed clinical trials for a nasal spray, which could take you could take before a big night out in the town to make them want to drink less than usual. Quote, I arrive in the parking lot, I want six or seven drinks. I'll top I'll top up with a nasal spray, says Chief Executive Officer Mark Crosley. The drug Naltrexone works on opioid receptors in the brain's reward system and blocks the pleasant effects of alcohol. Endeavor wants to make a short-acting version of an, uh, Naltexron that works within five minutes, says Kristen Hydebreeder, the company chief scientific officer. And so there you go. That's the... Got all sorts of stuff that's starting to happen. Oh, is this another one here? Uh, okay, yeah, well, they said, what about when people drink too much? They're also doing research on uh, inebriated mice injected with a stress hormone sobered them up within one to two hours. This is more than twice as quickly as inebriated mice without the shot. So uh, research leaped up and declared it a miracle. Uh, one of the experiments that you never think will work, uh, they're saying. So uh, it's all sorts of stuff out there to get you to enjoy your drinking without the after effects or the health problems or any else except just the happy high that you get with drinking so there you go it's something something new and exciting in the world of drink now again all right let's see what we got here uh, let's see nope that's the wrong page 
And this is the page I want. Nope, that's the wrong page. This is the page I want. Yes, it is. Okay. I saw this. I thought this was interesting. This is out, out of 750 Daily Dispatch. This is a good little site. If you're not signed up for it, do so. 750 spelled out, 750 daily, or 750.com, actually, you can go to and sign up for it. It gives you all sorts of stuff every every day. But this is Albanian wines. Albania. How many people think Albania might have something to offer in wines? Well, actually, they do. They are between Montenegro to the north and Greece to the south. And uh, I'm sorry. Montenegro to the north, that's right, Greece to the south. And you've got the Mediterranean country of Albania. It's one of the oldest wine-producing countries in the world. And they believe that they have been producing wine in Albania since the Bronze Age, which is around 3,000 years ago been a long period of Ottoman rule and also two world wars in that area and so that didn't help and then you had the communist regime which basically isolated the country from the rest of the world and all that went on until the early 1990s which well for 3,000 years they have not produced a whole lot of wine and the ones they did were just local and stuff like that so, at points during the history, wine production plummeted, as you can imagine. And it wasn't very big at all during the communist era. And what they did produce was low-quality wines. But, now for over 30 years, they have been free to do it. No dictatorship, no communist rule, no anything. And they've been doing quite well, actually. Uh, the people who were making the wine there studied in places like Italy and Greece, France and Germany and came back with their knowledge and jumping into Albanian wines. Their production 2000-2016 has increased by over 250%. So they're doing something there. Exports to the United States have not been real strong, basically to Texas and Michigan. So if you live in Texas or Michigan, check out Albanian wines there. Uh, that's where most of it is. Um, but they are doing really quite well. There's a variety of wineries that are opening up there. And the grapes are local they're trying to use that as much as possible it's a small country and they have a whole bunch of different microclimates so it's producing a lot of different types uh 100 central mediterranean wines when influenced by the adriatic and ionian seas which gives you um, nice crisp acids and stuff Northern Albania is uh, one region that is uh, a lot of elevation, mountainous areas, which gives you some uh, unique flavors and tastes. Central Albania, rolling hills, uh, diverse soil, and it is also good for um, vineyards, a lot of olive trees in that area, which if you get wines from there, you might pick up hints of the olive taste in the wine. It's very possible because that's what happens when vineyards are grown around areas that are growing a certain crop or something. Um, like Australia, uh, you get... Uh, Jeez, I just got a blank of what they're growing down there. But different areas will give you the taste of different things. Then last, southern Albania. Uh, southeastern corner can reach some elevation and protected from strong winds. 
So uh, wineries there are growing white, the white grape called Debina, D-E-B-I-N-A, and it's known for its acidity, and it's doing quite well. Uh, there's also white Pulis, P-U-L-E-S grapes, with a floral uh, aromas to it, and then they're making Raki, a pomace brandy in southern Albania. Uh, the key grapes that you're going to find there is uh, Shish, S-H-E-S-H. It's um, both red and white Shish, which are the country's most widely cultivated grape. Uh, it makes for, uh, let's see what it says here, notes of citrus and white flowers on the nose of the white. And... The reds tend to be full-bodied with notes of dark fruit like blueberry and blackberry. Interesting. Great. They'll be doing both that. Another one, Calmet, K-A-L-L-M-E-T, also comes in both red and white. But the red is more widely planted. Um, marked acidity and smooth tannins uh, is good for oak aging. And doesn't say much about the white. Another grape grown in Albania is the Vlosh, V-L-O-S-H. It's a red grape. Uh, it's also known as Tiburon in France and Tripat uh, from uh, Catalonia. Uh, let's see. Savory notes, Mediterranean red berries, black olives, and dried herbs. Uh, notes of it. And the last one, pulls, pulls, P-U-L-E-S, pulls. It's uh, Barat, a UNESCO World Heritage Site located in central southern Albania. is home to pulls, or pulls, a white variety. The white wine is best known for its aroma of white flowers, a long finish and pronounced acidity. And it said the acidity can be a little overwhelming in the first year, but after the second year, it is very nicely balanced. So, Albania, uh, if you see any, then, you know, pick it up, give it a try. Those in Minnesota and Texas have the luxury of already having it delivered to you in your region, but from what they're saying, it could be more spread throughout the country before very long. They're trying to get it around, uh, I'd say Minnesota, Michigan, and Texas. They should uh, try to get it around the country more over the next couple, three years. So look for it, Albania. Okay, let's get out of this and this and go to... Oh, yeah, this, I saw this, and I thought this was interesting. Uh, where is it? There it is. Despite strict alcohol laws, Utah wine finds its footing. Well, we've talked to a couple of wineries past, and we've learned some of the crazy things that they do there. And so... I saw this, and I, I what caught my eye here is the history of alcohol in Utah. And I, it's, you know, a few paragraphs, but not real long. I'm going to read you this. I read this, and it went like, oh, my gosh, you know, I'm surprised. Well, the history of alcohol in Utah. When church members settled in Utah in the 1840s to escape religious persecution, they sought a place to live and worship in peace settling in the region now known as Greater Zion. They grew numerous crops, including olives, tobacco, cotton, and wine grapes. As it turns out, southern Utah's climate is suited for grape growing. It has the same latitude as parts of Portugal, Spain, Italy, and Greece, and sets at 4,500 feet above sea level. The altitude provides cool nights that complement its hot days. Coupled with an arid climate and volcanic soil, well-managed vines can get just the right amount of stress. 
Early church members produced copious amounts of wine after importing vines from Europe's best vintners. In 1875, the state had 544 acres of vines producing 6,260 bushels, which is a little high, actually. This could yield about 1,500 gallons per acre of what would be known as Dixie wine, named for the area along the Virgin River's nickname, Utah's Dixie, according to Brigham Young University Scholarship Archive. Dixie wine was used for religious functions, was a popular drink among church members, and perhaps more importantly, served as an important source of revenue for the community. The wine was sold to area trappers, settlers, and prospectors. The silver reef mines being one of the biggest consumers. After the mines closed in the mid-1880s, Church leaders became aware of alcoholism among church members and began preaching abstinence from alcohol. At the same time, cheaper wine was being produced in California. The combination of moral pressure from the church and the drop-off in sales led to the shutting down of area wine presses. My ancestors go back five generations. We were one of the earliest settlers here in St. George from the Brigham Young Mission, says Nicky Pace Richard, owner-operator of a local pub called George's Corner Restaurant, and a former owner of the Painted Pony, a restaurant lauded for its wines list. My grandma would tell me they were allowed to drink. It wasn't always against the law. It wasn't such a stigma. But at some point in my lifetime, even though I was very young, all of a sudden we weren't allowed to drink anymore. And that's what happened in Utah. Even decades after prohibition was repelled in 1933, Utah state government applied stringent teetotaling laws as late as the 1990s, some of which are still in practice today. Utah's currently Utah currently limits a beer's alcohol by volume to 5% and require bars to use measuring devices to limit each pour. Regulations also dictate that drinks should be poured out of a customer view behind a barrier called the Zion Curtain. We have talked about that on previous shows. However, although laws to curb consumption still exist and many church members still abstain, drinking has become much more accepted and is generally a more common occurrence than in previous decades. By the time the winemakers here started coming back into the area, I think there was enough of a diverse community that it wasn't too much of a shock, says Pace Richards. So far, she contends, local wines are on par with anything she sourced from Napa. There's some very good wines out of Utah. I have to have to admit, I've had some, and there are some very, very good wines. So there you go. There's a little history of Utah and how it got to where it is now. Uh, Currently, wine is on the rise in Utah. They are making Grenache, Syrah, Tempranillo, Malbec, Sangiovese, Merlot, Cabernet Sauvignon, Sauvignon Blanc, Zimmerdahl, Pinot Noir, Pinot Verdot, and more. Uh, so, and uh, Utah Wine Trail officially launched in 2021. Features five wineries, all located within our um of Zion Park and a half hour from each other. So it is becoming a thing again there in Utah, wine and winemaking and all that. We've talked to wineries in Utah and discovered some of the things that's going on there. And uh, the Zion Curtain just made all of us shake our head. But that's what they do. They don't want people to see them pour a drink. I don't know what the purpose of that is, and neither does anyone else. Uh, Everyone I talk to says, I don't know. So, you know, if nobody knows, why don't they just remove the... But they won't. So, 
So there you go, a uh, little information about uh, the laws and history of wine in Utah. Let's see. Let's put my next one here. Uh, no, what is it? What is it? Oh, I hit the wrong button. Okay, there we go. And we want to go to here, and we want to go to uh, well, wait a minute. be this one. Yes, okay. Uh, Southern Arizona. We've talked to wineries down there and uh, I've visited some of the wineries down there, and they're really nice. They put out a lot of great wines. They won't ship to you in summer. Once the heat comes in, they tell you you're not going to get your shipment until the fall when it cools down because they don't want it to be shipped in the heat. Um, so this is this article is just how the heat is impacting the grapes and it's causing major stress on agriculture throughout the state, and it's true for the vineyards in Southern California, uh, Southern Arizona. Uh, the hope is cooler temps will help the grapes and create a better harvest. Uh, the vines are definitely struggling a little bit with the heat, uh, says Megan Stranick, who is a winemaker and co-owner of AZ Hops and Vines. And she said that uh, the scorching summer is like nothing they've ever seen. And the recent monsoon moisture in the higher elevation is helping their crop. So uh, they they have rain season down there. They call it the monsoon, which uh, is what they do, which opens up. It's amazing, too. They'll have a, an enormous amount of water just dump on an area. And it causes the gullies and all that just to flood out. Just all of a sudden, you get all this water going down through it and everything. It's it's amazing. I was out there visiting my son. It was just amazing. So we had drip irrigation. Luckily, we're at 5,000 feet in elevation, and a little bit cooler than Tucson. In fact, that's where I was in Tucson. Uh, most of Arizona is seeing higher temperatures this year, and the uh, Tucson and Phoenix are quite a ways apart, but it's a little bit cooler in Tucson and Phoenix uh, than it is in the wine grape growing regions. As uh, the sugars will jump up because of the heat, and which will in turn make for very high alcohol, and uh, the acidity will drop. So it's a challenge to produce a decent wine with this heat on there. Uh, the uh, So the first round, the grapes will be ready probably, well, actually, end of this week. Uh, they've already started harvesting a little bit of Chardonnay. Uh, because of the heat, they have to get these off the vines. Uh, Norton is still good for another month, they're saying, but... If the heat continues on, they may have to harvest that a little bit sooner. Uh, level 1 heat stress days when temperatures hit 82.4 degrees. And then level 2 heat stress days is when temperatures hit 86. And they have been well above that in some of these regions lately. Uh, the... Uh, a good portion of the plants are showing some form of heat stress, they're saying. Uh, the noble is hoping for cooler temps and weather so they can 
try to get those harvested. With it being as hot as it is, it's creating higher sugars and a lot of acid, and it's just almost impossible to balance that out in the uh, while you're making it and the blending and all that. Uh, says it is so dry also in the wildfire season in early March destroyed five acres of crops at Sonoida Vineyards. Uh, they said that even if you are mowing outside, you can hit a rock and, a, and that will cause a spark which will start a wildfire. This is everything you do outside this time of year is possibly uh, a good start for, excuse me, good start for a wildfire. So it is a, a concern for everything. They were uh, doing some other events and they've cut back on them because of the possibility of wildfire. So it's um, southern Arizona and the heat and the dryness is affecting the grapes. Uh, they said that uh, they'll make it through and everything will be all right, but it's going to be a struggle once they get those grapes picked and into the uh, fermenting and all that to try to balance everything out. So, <coughs> excuse me, southern Arizona wildfires down there. Okay, let's see. Drinks launches drinks.com podcast. Uh, the alcohol or the business of online alcohol. Uh, they're calling it Drinks, the pioneering and leading operating system for alcohol e commerce. Today announced the launch of the drinks.com podcast. The business of alcohol. Uh, E-commerce is the fastest-growing segment. Alcohol and drinks has revolutionized the space by powering brands and leadership, they said. Of course, they say that. That's the CEO. Uh, a series inaugural episode, which is now available, by the way, features a conversation with Jessica Kogan, who is the Vintage Wine Estate's Chief Growth and Experience Officer and founder of Cameron Hughes Wine. Uh, plus, I got conversation with other people on there. So, if you're interested, go to drinks.com and you can listen to the podcast. Um, it might be interesting. I don't know. I haven't listened to it yet. Um, so, I I will listen to it. Let me make a note of this so I can. So I can listen to it and tell you what's going on with it, and if it's worth your time. Dot com. Okay. All right. There we go. Uh, ooh, drinks powers digital commerce for the two hundred and fifty billion dollar U.S. alcohol market. Company enables alcohol e-commerce for leading retailers, online marketplaces, and alcohol companies, eliminating a century of red tape with simple-to-use enterprise-grade technology. Yay for them! So, drinks. You can just you can look up drinks if you're interested in what they what they have to say. Uh, okay, let me get rid of that and let me go to this next one here. Oh, Sherry Lohman. Uh -huh. I don't know if you've heard of this. Sherry Lohman's own lawyer went to quit on Deadbeat Park Avenue Wine Store. Okay, Sherry Lohman, S-H-E-R-R-Y Lohman, L-E-H-M-A-N, R-M-A-N-N, is a... a store that was storing people's wines. But they aren't. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, it's, it's, 
hard to say. The uh, they got pictures of the co-owners and all this other stuff, but they've disappeared. They they can't find them. Uh, they uh, uh, are mixing people, including a lawsuit seeking nearly one million dollars. Uh, the law firm is uh, Nixon Peabody's owed three hundred thousand uh, dollars. They said that the firm, which represents Sherry Loma for fifteen years, is squaring off against three doctors who sued the retailer last year, alleging they are owed nearly one million dollars in wine futures, and they are. Uh, in a, a store that they're back on the rent, and they uh, France won a judgment against Charlotte for $251,104 worth of goods that were never paid for. And uh, customers are alleging that uh, they have stolen or sold their precious wine, and I mean precious wine, uh, and let's see, that's that's this article. Now, there's another one that goes into it even more. And let me click on that. And let's see. Oh, here's one guy who uh, has kept two cases of 1982 Petrus Bordeaux, which he bought four decades ago, and he believes the value around $90,000, and he can't find his wine. He knows no idea where it is. And in Pearl River, where they moved a lot of these wines out of the proper storage, they haven't been paying the electric bills, so there's a possibility that all these wines have gotten very warm. Uh, and the guy's assuming that they are stolen. There's a lot of other pricey bottles that have not been stored at the proper temperature. And they said uh, the own lawyer's been contacted, and they said these guys are deadbeats. The feds raided it on July 18th and shuttered the Park Avenue store and the office at Pearl River, and uh, they said that uh, they said the owner of the Petrus spoke with the Sherry Loman rep as recently as June the 2nd and was told that his wine would be delivered to his home within three weeks. Obviously not. And let's see. I saw this stuff. Oh, yeah. Uh Uh, let's see, the wine never arrived uh, at any of them. They're saying that uh, storage costs for the, the uh, Sherry Lumen only charging thirty three seventy four a month for storage. But they said that the wine caves held some 2,000 cases of pricey wines. And uh, there's a North Carolina collector who bought a case of uh, a 1995 Domaine de la uh, Romane Conti de la Tache, I pronounced those wrong, and kept it at it. Uh, he figures the wine, it's a rare wine, it's worth about $95,940. Uh, and uh, they obtained a copy of the invoice that uh, the article did. And the company owes New York state $2.7 million in unpaid sales tax, and he owes the Park Avenue landlord $3.6 million in back rent. These are all according to Wine Spectator report. So the point being is, there is another company, and I say another one because we talked about one uh, couple, three months ago that went out of business also and just folded everything and uh, nobody knew what was going on and what was happening. Well, here's yet another one that storing people's expensive wines and just disappeared. 
along with the wines. So they don't know if the wines have been stolen or if they've been sold or where these guys are or what's happening. But they owe a tremendous amount of money, uh, six, seven million dollars just to the state of New York alone and to the uh, Park Avenue landlord plus all the other stuff that they have built up, the electricity and all that. So moral of the story, it makes you a little leery to store your very expensive wines at places like that. It really does. There's a lot of local, little local places that will store your wine and you check them out and, you know, <laughs> stay on top of them. That's the only thing you can do is stay on top of them because stuff like this, oh my gosh, you know, it's when you have 95000 almost $96,000 worth of wine and just one instance stored with them and that plus some of these others is uh, just scary what could happen. Although, you know, they do a, quite a good job at talking into it and talking about it and all that. And you say, oh, okay, also, I'll start with you. Yeah, well, be special, special careful because, well, you know. Okay, let's see what else we got on this page here. Uh, let's see. Oh, there it is. Long Island celebrates 50 years of winemaking. Long Island. Who would have thought? Uh, region celebrates its golden anniversary. Uh, there's a lot of vineyards in Long Island. In 1973, uh, a couple, uh, Louise and Alex Hargraves, decided they would do something that was against the grain. They convinced Long Island would be a perfect place to grow grapes, and they planted vinifera in Chechog, if that sounds pronounced. I don't know all you New Yorkers out there. Uh, Kachahog. And they uh, took over a dilapidated potato farm and planted Cabernet Sauvignon, Pinot Noir, and Sauvignon Blanc, and it thrived. And now, 50 years later, the region has 57 producers across three American viticulture areas, uh, Long Island and subregions of Hamptons and the North Fork. So they are celebrating 50 years. Uh, 25 varieties of grapes are planted in Long Island now, with 90% of them being vinifera, which is, is something in itself. Common varieties, Chardonnay and Merlot. But then they also have varieties like Malvisia, Rifosco, and Rebella Giala. Uh, it's the sandy loam soil with gravelly sandy subsoils is really making it for a great grape growing region. And uh, they're, you know, looking at celebrating another 50 years there. It's uh, something that's really taken off there Long Island, but 50 years ago was all, and they've exploded since then. Okay, oh, now let's find something else here. This is, oh, actually, I don't need to find something else. It's 8 o'clock. A uh, couple of other quick stories, though, before we get out of here. Oops, wrong, wrong page. Uh, uh, I was gonna, let's see, a couple of things here. Number one, micro wineries in Napa. They're starting to pop up all over Napa, little small ones. You can make up to 2,000 gallons a year for personal use as long as you don't have a taste room or anything like that. But now these micro wineries are jumping out and coming out of their basements and starting to do it and they're making, you know, you know, five, uh, 
5,000 up to 10,000 gallons a year and starting to pop up all over Napa. There's uh, one in the South Country Hills, uh, another one in Mount Veter in a cave there, Myocamas Mountains Cave. And then in Rutherford, uh, there's one. They expect quite a few others to be popping up over the next few years. So uh, when you head up to Napa the next time you're there, check out the small ones. Check out the, the what they call micro wineries, like a micro brewery. Check out the micro wineries. Uh, these are becoming very popular. And one other thing I'm going to read you quickly here is, oh, where is it? Uh, oh, oh, here we are. Insurance claims. Winery insurance claims. Less common winery insurance claims. Uh, just a couple of them I thought was interesting here. I'll tell you what. It's 8 o'clock. Let me save that until next week. And we'll, we'll talk about that next week since it is 8 o'clock now. And we're... We'll call I covered everything except that, so that's pretty good. So, yeah, that should take care uh, of us for two. A couple of things I would uh, mention that you had talked about. Uh, Jessica Kogan of uh, Vintage Wine Estates uh, was mm-hmm. on our program uh, March the 9th. So if you want to uh, listen to our little interview there, uh, that was from March the 9th on uh, Blog Talk Radio and probably – I think we were simulcasting then too. I'm not sure, but uh, yeah, this year was, like, was it that soon? Yep. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, she was I, on the I thought it was longer oh. back than that. I really did. I hmm. I knew we had talked hmm. to her, but I thought it was much further back. Wow. Yeah, that's yeah. I thought it was too. I was looking through my notes. I couldn't find it, but I had her name misspelled, so I totally screwed that up. Uh, we also uh, we did a replay of this in 2014, but we had Long Island's uh, first established winery, uh, we had uh, Marco Borghese from Castello de Borghese on, and mm-hmm. uh, I, I thought he passed away. Was he the? I yes, think he, he was did. The one that he was in an auto accident. Yep. Uh, yeah, and uh, it is uh, Long Island. He was from uh, Long Island's uh, oldest vineyard, uh, which began in 1973 uh, with the radical vision of Alex and Louisa Hargrave which you just mentioned. So um, that was a part of that. So uh, uh, they started the winery up, and, and uh, it was the oldest uh, winery. And he even said that. He says the uh, oldest winery in Long Island. So uh, when you mentioned that, I said, man, we had somebody. And I, I was trying to find out who it was. And there you go. So yes, we, we had the replay uh, of the original show. For, the original time we had him on was on uh, July 2011, uh, wow. way back then. Wow. Yeah. And yeah. And uh then we did a replay of it on uh it looks like August the seventh in two thousand fourteen. So that was on right after his right after his accident because you you replayed it that day. I remember that. Yeah. Um so I just brought that up and I was looking up some some things here. So um so we had him had him on. Um all right. Good for us. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, that will do it for us uh, for this Thursday, uh, August the 10th. Thank you all for tuning in as always. Uh, we appreciate it. If uh, you're in the wine industry or, or you know, you have a podcast or, or, or show or something, uh, or you're a winemaker, um, you know, working out in the vineyards or, or, or whatever in the industry, let us know. You can email Ron directly at allaboutwine.com. 101 at gmail.com and he will get that and um, contact him or you can go to our Facebook page or someplace and contact us there, whatever, whatever you got to do. But let us know you want to be on the show and we'd love to have you. Our next show is going to be next Thursday. That's August the 17th at 7 p.m. as always uh, next Thursday. So uh, join us then. And uh, we appreciate y'all tuning in live as well as on the archive. It uh, means a lot. One final thought, Mm -hmm. Saturday morning, 7 to 9, Flightline Radio. Mike will be live. 
<laughs> yeah, how do you like your new hours? You know, that, I oh, didn't. It's, it's, I, well, it's, it's okay. It's it's uh, it? yeah, it's it's been doing pretty good actually. Uh, it's just a different time zone, uh, but uh, or time zone, different time frame that I'm I'm on. But that's fine. Yeah, yeah Lightline Radio out, so. dot com. Uh, music 24 7 streaming all the time you can just turn on listen to it in the background and mike is live saturday mornings from seven to nine so and he Ooh, takes requests and chats with you and does all sorts of fun stuff so. yeah thanks a lot i appreciate that um yeah, sure. and um yeah we're still still going strong so Good. uh you know my video last the video feed last week was maybe 10 seconds off at the most. Now I'm looking at it. It's 10 minutes off. It's no <laughs> way. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. Last week, thought I was on to something and it was, it was going to work great from now on, but nope, we're back to 10 minutes, nope. 10 minutes. That's ridiculous. 10 minutes. That's um, ridiculous. Next Thursday, yeah. Yes. Uh, next Thursday, August 17th, our next show. Thanks uh, for tuning in, and y'all have a great week. Be safe and uh, stay cool, please. Hell yeah. Stay hydrated. Thanks for listening. Be safe. This concludes tonight's broadcast of All About Wine. All About Wine. With your host, Yalon. For show information, links to All About Wine on Twitter and Facebook, or to be a guest on this show, visit the show website at www.allaboutwinebtr.com. Archived shows are available for download on iTunes or on our show page at blogtalkradio.com forward slash allaboutwine. Thank you for listening. Drink responsibly, and we'll see you next time on All About Wine. All About Wine. <laughs> oh, hang on. Let me, let me go off there. <laughs> and that one. <laughs> All right. And we're off. I was, I was laughing. I couldn't get to the buttons. Um, okay. Oh.